Hello and welcome to the podcast from Holy Trinity Westerhales. We're delighted that you've joined us for this week's podcast and pray that you would be blessed through it. So I want to invite uh, the Reverend Alistair Morris. Why don't you come and uh, join me on the couches and let's welcome him again and uh, that'll be great. Come and grab a, grab a seat. And uh, oh, oh. Does, does that feel familiar to you? We never, we never had coaches in my day. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're missing out. You're missing out. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just need to sit down, don't you? And you do, especially <laughs> when you get to my age. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Alistair Morris, uh, you're, you're a former minister here at Holy Trinity. Why don't you just um, tell us? a little bit about how you ended up uh, here in Wester Hills and about God's calling here. Well, that's... Uh, how long have we gone? Um, <laughs> they know some of them. They, some of them know, yeah. And, and it's great to see familiar faces, <laughs> yes. yes. Um, well, I was in Galashiels at the time when the first possibility of coming to Wester Hills came up. I'd been in St. John's Galashiels for nine years, and we were very happy there, but I felt very sort of ready for something different and to start something new. There are some people who are starters of things, and there are other people who are maintainers of things. And overall, I'm a starter. So I was ready to have a go at something a little bit different and challenging. So I applied for different churches. None of them wanted me. <laughs> I'm so thankful for all the places that turned me down. <laughs> and we came at last to think about Wester Hills. And that was Mary's thought for us. She thought this would be a good place. I wasn't so sure, but I put in a note of interest anyway. I'm not sure if really it was called an application or not. Anyway, we, I came for the interview through there in what was in those days the small hall. And the committee discussed things with me, and I listened to what they had to say. And I was still unsure. But as I came out the door, up these few steps and out to go out the door, one of the senior elders at that time was showing me out. And he said, you will come, won't you? <laughs> cuts through everything. <laughs> it cuts through everything. You will come won't you? And that was it, actually. I was decided, really, as I went down these steps, who could resist a call like that? <laughs> and what, for you, were the highlights of your time here at Holy Trinity? Oh. Well, that's so difficult to say. I had so many highlights. 
different things that happened. That um, were really amazing. Let me just tell you one or, one or two wee things. We, we planned early on to have an evening service, and I brought that to the Kirk session. And it was greeted with a bit of skepticism. I'd left a congregation in Galashiels where we had 70 regulars on Sunday nights, and it was one of the sad things for me that I was leaving that to come here. And um, there was a bit of pessimism expressed. They'd done it before and hadn't really worked. Not many people came. And the debate went on a little bit. And somebody said, well, we'll maybe get a dozen. And I said, well, a dozen will be all right. But the first Sunday night we met here, after we started the evening service, we had 70. <laughs> and in all the years, as far as I remember when I was here, we very rarely were under that. It was as if God said to me, you think that you've maybe lost something by coming here. You haven't lost anything. So that was a kind of highlight Oh, so many others. And individual people, of course. And what for you was the priorities of your time of ministry here? Because God, in different places, God lays certain things upon your heart that is absolutely essential. And what for you are, were the really essential things during your time here? Well, I think that there were four things. This was the sermon I planned to preach. And then I changed it to the sermon I'm going to preach. <laughs> so you've asked me a question which I've been thinking about. What were the actual priorities? One, don't worry, they're not big, long points. One was, I want to preach the gospel. Amen. Preaching the gospel. Whatever else happens in Holy Trinity, Western Hills, we're going to preach the gospel, right? Number one. By preaching it, of course, in the sense of, we had a pulpit in those days, uh, in the sense of preaching it from the pulpit, but in the sense of living it out in the whole community. Second was, we need to create a fellowship. We had in those days a retired minister who lived in Westburn, one of the big flats. I don't think it's any longer there. And he commented after a service one day, he said, Alistair, he says, your eye on about fellowship. <laughs> I hadn't noticed. But I suppose that was it. Being the family of God. That was what was important to me. And then, of course, reaching out into the community. And over the years, various things developed in connection with that. And uh, mostly with my wonderful associates and helper, Shirley, who's here, and uh, Chris Park and the others that came on. And we sought to reach out into the community. One of the ways in which we reached out to, into the community was through the schools. And one of you actually today has spoken to me already and said she remembered me from being in the school. In those days, 
Here's a bit into the past. In those days, I would go to Dumbrydon School, which is no longer there, I think. No. No, it's no longer there. That school was the biggest school in the city in those days. And I and other colleagues that were with me on the team, we would go to Dumbrydon School and I would speak to 400 children for the first assembly. And then another hundred or so with the infants. Wow, think of the impact, mm. think of the possibility. Yeah, so there was that reaching out into the community. And then there was being open to God, really open to what God would show us that we might do. And one of the things that developed over the years as well as our team was the Kirk Session. And towards the end, it was so exciting to be in that Kirk session because somebody would have an idea, maybe even I would have an idea, the odd time, and throw it in. And by the time everybody had mulled it over, it was a half-decent idea. <laughs> Creativity. Wonderful, wonderful. And from uh, Holy Trinity in Wester Hales, where has God taken you since then and where have you ended up? Oh, well, I went to Rutherglen Stonelaw from here. That was a very different situation, but in lots of ways it was another start-up, but that's another story. And then from there we went to Kyrgyzstan and to the foundation of the International Church in Bishkek, um, which took us into fresh fields and pastures new. And then since then, you thought I was finished. <laughs> Since then, I've done, is it five or six locums? Six. See, you lose count. Six locums in different churches in Dundee and around uh, our own area, which each have given me such opportunities. You know, people, people, I go back to my point about the gospel, people want to hear the gospel. And every time I've gone to a, a locum ship, that's been my desire, was to so share Jesus that people would get to know him. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it's so good to hear that uh, you've continued into ministry. Uh, my session clerk, uh, uh, VJ Kindria, is uh, sitting there. You've got a favorite verse, don't you, VJ? that you, you're going to remain fresh and green even into, even into old age. I'm not calling you old, VJ, but is that right? Psalm 92. Psalm 92, fresh and... Yes. yes. Well, my first session clerk was Jimmy Swanson. Many of you remember, just a wee story about Jimmy to finish this off. Um, Jimmy was always on time for the church. He was a good session clerk, and he was always there to help me with whatever I needed. But I noticed after a while that Jimmy was late in coming into the service. What was he doing? Well, eventually I speared and found out what he was doing. Jimmy and his wife had never had any children. Maybe I should just say that in the background. And what Jimmy was doing was, before he came into the service, he went to the creche and he gave every youngster a smarty. 
don't tell any dentists. <laughs> but it was a token of his love yeah. for the wee ones. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we, we just love that you've come today along with, uh, with Mary. And uh, I'm going to invite you now to come and to read God's word to us. And after that, we're going to spend some time in praise and thanksgiving uh, to God. And the worship band are going to lead us. Pastor. When I came to Wester Hills these years ago, the induction was planned and the preacher was appointed. He was the Reverend Hugh Anderson, who was professor at that time of New Testament in New College. We had had many disagreements. I was in his class. But there was never anything personal in it, you understand. It was in the realm of ideas and theology and so forth. And I wondered what he would do when he came to preach me in. Well, he preached on the text, you must be born again, in John chapter 3. And I thought that today that's where we would return this morning. So it's John chapter 3, from verse 1 to verse 16. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, 
the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Thanks be to God for his word. So I want to take you back today to the story of Jesus and his interview with Nicodemus. As I've indicated to you, it was the text that Hugh Anderson preached on at my induction, but it was also very closely related to the series which we began when we came here that year in 1977. And it was on the interviews of Jesus with different people in the Gospel of John. And so it was either the first Sunday when I preached myself, or it was the second Sunday. It doesn't make a blind bit of difference to you now. But it was very close to the beginning that we came to think together about this story of how Jesus met with Nicodemus. And that's where I want to take you today. You'll have heard, I'm sure, many a sermon on the same text, but it'll not do you any harm to hear another one. Because it's a great and beautiful story. Here is our friend Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a member of the party of the Pharisees, a man who knew his Bible, belonged to the faithful tradition of God-fearing Israelites. He sought a meeting with Jesus because there were things which upset and disturbed him. You don't have to read much into the story to find out what these things were. Rabbi, he said, you are a teacher sent from God. For no one could do the things that you are doing unless God is with him. Perhaps he had been in the crowds that went around Jesus. Perhaps he had witnessed healings. Perhaps he had listened to the teaching. Perhaps he'd just been around when Jesus was there. Because I think all of these things made an impact on people's lives. And our friend Nicodemus was impressed. He was impressed with all that he saw and all that he heard. 
and perhaps was in his deepest heart drawn to admire and respect the teacher. But in the circles in which he moved, the Pharisaic circles in which he was a leader, his inclination to respect Jesus was not the way they thought at all. In fact, from earliest days, the Pharisaic party as a whole were dead set against him. He seemed to be upsetting many of their traditions by the kind of things that he said and the kind of things that he did. Most serious from their point of view, I suppose, was that he was gathering a crowd. And if he gathered a crowd, that meant that their influence was less, and they were jealous of him. They also could see the possibility that it could lead into political danger for them. They were settled in their ways. They had their position in society. And if this Jesus movement took off, then there was no telling where it might end. And so there were the whisperings that went around. We need to get rid of this man. But Nicodemus was not so sure. What if there was more to it? What if he could hardly bear the thought? With all his background, with all his knowledge, he had been wrong. And this Jesus really was a messenger from God sent after all. And so in confusion of mind and spirit, he makes his way by night to see Jesus secretly. Nobody needed to know. He wanted nobody to know. He arrived to talk to Jesus by night. And he puts to him the question which we've been considering in a way in this introduction. He puts the question to him. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform, could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Pause. Short silence. How will Jesus answer, you wonder? And here is the answer. Jesus replied, Truly, truly, I tell you, no one, Nicodemus, can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. 
Of course, Nicodemus is puzzled and immediately betrays the fact that Jesus has got the diagnosis completely right, for he takes it up in a literal way, making in a sort of a way fun of what Jesus has said. How can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus, what does this answer mean that you've given me? Is it not an answer of stupidity? Have you any insight? What do you say? And Jesus takes it further. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, said Nicodemus? You're a ruler in Israel? You're a teacher? And you do not understand these things? How extraordinary. Have you ever read Genesis? The Spirit of God brooded over the surface of the deep. Oh, and what about, what about the Exodus? Did you read about that? And how there was a mighty wind that blew the sea back so that the people could go free to a promised land. You never read that? About the wind of God? And what about Ezekiel? You remember Ezekiel, the great prophet of the exile, and what he had to say? The valley of dry bones. Are you not a bit like the man who in that vision says, can these bones live? And it was the Spirit that came, and the Word of God. And the dead, dead, dry bones became, by the power of God, a mighty army. Nicodemus, do you know nothing about that? Have you never heard about the, the Spirit of God and the river of God coming from under the temple? Oh, the Bible is full of it from beginning to end. How, how, do, how have you missed it? People come to life by the Spirit of God. It's written all over the Bible from page one to page whatever it is. Nicodemus, you don't know. 
Can a man enter his mother's womb and be born again? Here you are, a ruler in Israel, and you do not know these things. The beginning of the Christian life, brothers and sisters, is when God does something, right? When God does something, when he comes to my life and opens my eyes so that I can see things that I didn't see before. That's, that's what it's about. That's what happened to you when you became a Christian, isn't it? You were drawn, attracted, oh yes. But there came a moment, or perhaps a series of moments, when your eyes were opened, you began to sense that there was a dimension beyond this altogether. That you'd entered another kind of world. That you were experiencing something beyond the merely human. God had drawn near to you. You felt that you could be drawn into his friendship and fellowship, even into his family. Suddenly you were there. Yes, there may be lots of things that happened, people you saw, things that you heard, but at the deepest heart of it all, God did something that you, a preacher, a church, a book, could never do. And you were born again. Very shortly after I came, I was addressed by one of the members of the congregation. Some of you will remember him. I'm not going to name anybody today, <laughs> so don't get embarrassed. But out there, just in front of the cross, she came and spoke to me. She had been actually on the vacancy committee and had been challenged by some of the things she heard in Galashiels. And there were various other things that had happened, including the sermon, I guess, about being born again. And here is what she said to me. Alistair, she said, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Whenever I come to church, I can't stop crying. You read the Bible and I'm crying. We sing the songs and I'm crying. You preach the message, and I'm crying. And with a moment of insight that God occasionally gives, I said to her, I know what's happened to you. You've been born again. Sometimes it happens like that. 
the well springs in the heart begin to overflow. At first it seems mysterious, but as you go on, you discover that what has happened is that God has breathed his spirit into your heart and you are being drawn as a child of his into his company and you're so overcome with love for him and his love for you that for some people, not everybody, but for some people, it leads to tears. I could tell you of so many others, but let me tell you of one other where it was so very clear that it was something God did. I got a call this afternoon from Christian Aid, their office in George IV Bridge at that time, probably still is, I don't know. And I wasn't in, so I think Mary took the call, and the call was to this effect. Somebody has called into Christian aid because they want help to become a Christian. You didn't realize that about Christian aid, did you? You can phone them, and they'll help you to become a Christian. Well, they did. And I got the address, and I went down to Clovenstone, where this lady lived, and I found her there, and she was kind of puzzled. She knew she had phoned Christian Aid because she wanted to become a Christian, but she didn't know why she wanted to become a Christian. I said, have you, have you, do you know any Christian people? No, she didn't know anybody. Have you been to church recently? No, she hadn't been to church for years. So why do you want to become a Christian? She said, I don't know. I'm summarizing it, of course. But I don't know. Now, I tell you this. Here's a challenge for you. How do you lead somebody to Christ who hasn't been reading the Bible, who hasn't been to church, who doesn't particularly know any Christians? How do you lead them to Christ? I was dumbfounded. I kept in my back pocket a copy of Journey into Life, a book that we used a lot in those days to help people become Christians. And in a stumbling and inadequate a way as I possibly could, I told her the essence of the gospel and had a prayer with her. And I said, no, you need to come to church. And she came. Doesn't come to this church anymore, but she goes to church. Another part of Edinburgh. You see the glory of that? We had a deaconess then um, who worked with me. She was the first worker that was here. She was here before me. And I said to her, I said, now this has happened. What do you make of that? We were busy doing a leaflet distribution. I think it was probably in connection with services at Easter. But she hadn't got her leaflet yet. I said, what? How is it that this has happened? And she said to me, I think I know, Alistair, how this has happened. 
God wants to show us that he's on the field before us. He's on the field before us. He's working ahead of us. Here's what I want to say to you about it, and it really is just out of our thinking here about Nicodemus. God did something. God did something. And if God had not done something way back then, you wouldn't be here today. God was at work before we arrived in 1977. There were those who formed that small group who met first in Dumbrayden School, and then when the building opened, met here. They believed, although it was a struggle, and even the bank was threatening not to honor any checks anymore. They determined that they would seek the blessing of God, and the Presbytery of Edinburgh made special arrangements for the staffing of this church in a community which was reckoned at that time to have up to 20,000 people. All of which, so it seems to me, showed that the hand of God was on this church before ever we arrived in 1977. There were, of course, indications of special things. Our Bible reading at that time, when we began to think seriously of the possibility of coming to Wester Hills, the desert shall blossom as the rose. And from earliest days, men and women were transformed by the action of God in response, of course, Please don't give the impression, let me give you the impression that it wasn't with action and with word and a whole lot of very hard work by many people. Yet in the end of the day, it was because God was at work. People were converted here most weeks in the early years. God was moving among us. We would see people arriving. They wanted an evening service. They hungered for it. They wanted a midweek fellowship. We had it. God did his work. And as he did his work, I think there were two things, and this brings us back to our text this morning, because... What Jesus does with Nicodemus in our story, we don't have time to expound it fully. What Jesus does with Nicodemus is to point him unmistakably to the reality that this life is a life in Jesus Christ and none other. Something is done that leads people to Jesus. And so Jesus put it this way, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes 
may have eternal life in him. And that's where it went, you see, in those days. And I don't think it's much changed in a, in a way. But it's good to dwell in it and put a, a line under it, as it were, of emphasis. One day, this is my last story of the people who came around. One day I was visiting in the Royal Infirmary. In those days, we had access to the admission records in the hospital. And we could go through all the records and pick out the Wester Hills ones and go and see them. You wouldn't get away with that today. But we did it. And as far as we were able, we got around a lot of people that way in their need. And this day I came on a certain lady who had thrown herself out of her apartment window because she was desperate. Fortunately, she hadn't done permanent damage to herself, a broken bone or two, and in time she got home. I never forget what she said to me a few weeks after when she started coming to church here. She said to me, um, when I saw you coming into the ward, wore the dog collar, of course, so they knew. When I saw you coming into the ward and making your way to my bed, I knew that Jesus had come. Jesus had come. It took my breath away. It still does. But you see, that's what happens, you see. When we live in Jesus, and I'm very ordinary. All of you who know me from the past know how ordinary I am. I'm very ordinary. But you see, in that moment, I was privileged to be the embodiment for her of the Lord Jesus. And she knew that God loved her because I walked down that ward and came to see her. That's the importance, brothers and sisters, of visiting one another. You never know, by the grace of God, how your visit may be the touch of the divine upon a human life. I've seen it so often now. God did something to bring people to Jesus. And so, as I think with you today, I think with such thanksgiving of all that it meant that there were people who, during these years, through the ministry of the team, through the ministry of every Christian who gathered here, God brought people to Jesus. And as they came to Jesus, they found a friend. Some of them had never known a real friend before. So it was the first experience of friendship. 
I found a friend. We used to sing this sometimes. I found a friend, oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love, and thus he bound me to him. And round my heart still closely twined those ties which naught can sever. For I am his, and he is mine forever and forever. If that happened to you in these years or in any succeeding years, my dear brothers and sisters, you'll not forget to thank him for it, will you? That you found a friend and that you can confide all things to him. Is this not the great message, brothers and sisters, that is needed for us all still? We need God to do something. We need God to bring us to Jesus. And the lovely and true thing is this, that there is nothing more that he wants to do than that. Listen said Jesus to Nicodemus, listen to the wind. You hear it in the trees. You can't tell it where, where it's coming from or where it's going, but you know it's there. Listen for the wind. And let the wind of God's grace come to your life. Get your sail up to it, that he may carry you safe home and on to your destiny here and there in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we think of these wonderful words of our Lord, we pray that the truth of them might be lived in us today. Grant us, dear Lord, the experience even now, maybe even for some a very first time, may we have the experience of being embraced in your love, held in the palm of your hand, addressed by your eyes and your lips with words and attitude of love. Hear our prayer and go on blessing this dear church, this fellowship of your people, its leaders, for all the future you have for them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, Amen. Hello and welcome to the podcast from Holy Trinity Wester Hales. We're delighted that you've joined us for this week's podcast and pray that you would be blessed through it.